Welcome to the skunk. I'm uh, experimenting with a new uh, on-air personality where I'm much more aggressive. <laughs> Welcome to the skunk. Get ready, because this little black and white striper is about to lift his tail. What do you guys think? Yes, no? Uh, go to trashskunk.com and vote for this personality versus mine. Actually, don't. You guys are going to troll me and I'm going to feel awful about myself. Because that guy's going to win. But yet, here you are. You're back again. I'm back. Uh, I want to thank you, of course, for listening to The Skunk and returning again. And hopefully that means you're enjoying it. I know I'm enjoying doing it. You know? If a tree falls in the woods and there's no one around to hear, does it make a sound? Well, yeah, obviously, the wildlife is there. Come on, this is silly. It actually leads right into our topic of the day, which is critical thinking. Now, there's a lot of ways to kind of get into this, uh, but maybe I should preface it first by saying that I believe you already are a critical thinker. For the most part, anyway, most of you are. I'm not here to say, I'm so smart and you're so dumb, be more like me. That's not what I'm going for here at all. I'm actually more interested... And just talking about things that are in public debate right now that are already answered, <laughs> you know, things that basically we know the, the answer to these things, and yet people would like to put them back up for discussion again. Um, I hope to have a guest on soon. I won't reveal who I'm trying to book yet, but somebody who can probably speak to that a lot better than I can. But the idea is just sort of skepticism doesn't always mean just questioning everything just for the sake of questioning it like yes you can question everything but when you arrive at an answer or there is an obvious answer okay you're done now you know it doesn't just mean i'm skeptical that the sky is blue okay but sir look up you can see it's blue yeah i'm not convinced i'm skeptical of this that's not being a skeptic that's being an idiot we can have answers you know the scientific method and critical thinking are tools that are not designed to just cast doubt on everything in reality, but to provide answers for why things are the way that they are. You know, we can see pretty objective reality, and we can use these tools to break it down. You know, why do trees have leaves? These are the methods we would use to answer those questions. Anyway, so with that little preface out of the way, I'm, I'm not talking down to you. I hope this is more like a sort of a fun discussion about critical thinking and how to use it and how not to use it and why some people seem to think they have it, and then arrive at sort of absurd conclusions about things, if that makes sense. Um, that being said, most people in America have some sort of an education. You know, most of us have at least been to high school. A lot of us have been to college, and these are the places where they're supposed to be teaching you how to think critically. Now, some schools do it differently. You know, there's... Uh, the kind of teachers who want to tell you what to think, I remember having a lot of these folks in my life. You need to think this, because I think it, and that, therefore it's true. That shouldn't be the goal of education. You know, I was looking at some children's books from, uh, they were kind of advertised to me for some reason on the internet, and they were sort of right-wing indoctrination about, you know, why God is real and why America is a Christian country and the dangers of looking out for one another. <laughs> and, you know, just sort of like, and these books were for like three and four-year-olds. And I just thought, well, there's a difference between telling people things that are sort of subjective as kids and teaching them to find the answers for themselves. You can tell a kid that tigers have stripes. You can tell a kid that one plus one equals two. But I don't think it's right to tell kids things like, 
people with red hair are all going to hell. <laughs> Not that anyone's making that claim, but they certainly make it about gay people and people of certain political views or atheists. People tell their kids those people are going to hell all the time. And that is, you know, as far as we know, there's no evidence for that. <laughs> that's, that's your opinion that you're giving to a kid. Now, you should be raising your kid with the tools to critically examine questions like, are redheads going to hell? And sort of examine the world around him, look at all the research, find out if hell is real, find out if there's anything particularly naughty about redheads, and then make their own call. You know, and I think most of the time, people would agree, redheads probably aren't going to hell just for having red hair. I think even a lot of fundamentalist Christians would agree with that one, but then suddenly you say, well, what about a man that loves a man? And, whoa, well, no, but they are. <laughs> they're definitely, they're on the hell list. Uh, they have reservations, actually. Nine o'clock, a couple years from now, all of them going to hell. So what's going wrong here in America? I think a lot of people think they know how to critically think uh, if they've gone to college, right? Like, I know a lot of attorneys. I've met and interviewed a lot of attorneys, and a lot of them are super-duper smart people. But I've also met some and, you know, talked to them at length, and I've also seen prominent attorneys on TV that obviously have breakdowns in their logic. Like, these people arrive at stupid conclusions, and they're not just offending a client, right? These are people talking for themselves and telling you what they believe. We're all led to think that lawyers and attorneys are the cleverest and the smartest and the most able to cut to the truth of a matter. In reality, no, they're, they're taught to argue. And they're taught rhetoric. Now, rhetoric and debate have been very popular in America, especially lately. There's been like a real revival of the debate culture. I remember this even like, you know, 11, 12 years ago, I was watching debates with people like Christopher Hitchens and, you know, Richard Dawkins would debate, would debate religious scholars. And it just, it's, it's been popular for a while and it's still more popular than ever. I mean, people like Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro make their livings going around and trying to engage uh, unqualified people for the most part in debates. Uh, people love to see this. And the, you know, ostensibly, when you watch a debate between two people arguing over emotion, something like, is God real? You know, you're supposed to think that at the end of this, you're going to get an answer. One of these people is going to win, right? Uh, usually they find out who wins, quote unquote, by polling the audience before the debate and after the debate. And we see who switched sides. If people go in and they're kind of all on one guy's side, but at the end, uh, more people are on the other guy's side, well, then it can be said that that person won the debate. But what's important to remember about this format is that doesn't necessarily mean that that guy's argument is correct. It just means he's a better debater. His skills at rhetoric were better than the other guys. This was a huge problem back in the 1980s when there was a lot of debating going on between scientists and somebody like uh, Dwayne Gish, you know, the famous creationist. And he would go up and debate these scientists about religion and, you know, whether or not the earth was created 6,000 years ago. <clears throat> and he would win. <laughs> he would win this stuff. Uh, not all the time, but a lot of the time the polling would come in and people had joined Gish's side. Now, how can that be? Is it, is it because the earth is 6,000 years old? Or is it because Gish was a very talented and practiced debater? And the scientist was a researcher who had no business on a debate stage. Well, that's what we eventually learned. And 
people who debate science for a living have taken the lesson and gotten a lot better at their rhetoric and learning how to engage with tricky, you know, sort of, I want to call it bad faith, but people who, who have a lot of tricks up their sleeve that they can make, like any good lawyer, uh, a crowd believes something that's not true. So one of Gish's big tricks was, you know, it's something that's now called the Gish Gallop. He actually made this so famous that there's a term for it. And what that means is, you know, some scientists would be up there trying to explain the research and the papers and what, we, what we've observed and tested. And then Dwayne Gish would come out when it was his turn and just throw a thousand questions at them and then continue to talk and continue to talk and bring up a thousand things. And by the time the scientist got around to trying to answer, he's got a thousand things he has to explain away before he can even get to his point. So it's basically just like a shotgun of BS at somebody that forces them to address, and you can just tell lies too, right? Like, what about this? What about that? What about the time the moon turned into a wolf and came into my house? Can you explain that? Can science explain that? God can't. And you just make these claims over and over in front of an audience and somebody, and they are forced on, on the back of their heels, right? And they have to say, okay, well, the moon can never turn into a wolf because the moon is a, you know, it's a heavenly body and a wolf is a mammal that lives on the earth. And uh, uh, the only way you can make anything into a wolf is if one wolf breeds with another and several months later, a litter of wolves will come out. You give people enough of this, you tie them in knots, right? Um, trying to explain things that they have the answers to, but you gave them a thousand and the audience kind of wants an explanation, right? This guy just laid a bunch of crap at your feet. Now you have to pick it all up. It's very, very hard to get your opinion across and your side of a debate when you're busy doing that and this person is sending you in circles. So my point here is that at the end of the day, a debate is a very poor way of getting at the truth. Two people explaining their sides of things sounds nice, but when you really break it down, people have learned how to rig the system and cheat and come up with things that uh, can give them a win without actually being right. So that's why I'm saying, you know, attorneys are very clever and they're very smart, but being a good arguer doesn't make you right and it doesn't make you a good debater. It just means you're incredibly good at rhetoric and convincing people. And that's a real talent. There's a reason, you know, trial attorneys make a lot of money. This is a, an important thing for them. But what you need to think about when you hear something like creationism versus science or atheism or however you would want to couch the opposite of creationism, which believes the earth is 6,000 years old and Jesus rode around on dinosaurs and all that fun stuff. It, it, what you really need to think is, okay, forget about what these people are bickering over. I need to think critically about this. So it's something like that. What you would do is turn off the TV where these two people are arguing and just go look at the research, right? For example, we know that the Earth is more than 6,000 years old for a lot of reasons. We know because we can carbon date things back a lot further than that. Everything from fossils to plant matter, we can go take ice core samples in Antarctica that go back a lot further than 6,000 years. And we can just see that things have been here longer than that, including animals. Again, fossil records. You carbon date some, uh, some old skeleton, even of a human being, you know, that's going to be 200,000 years old. That's a lot more than 6,000. I think you'd agree. Um, you would also look at something like the Big Bang, right? Which there's plenty of evidence for. We can see the trajectory of the universe's stars and planets as everything expands. We can see where it's going tomorrow. And when we back it up, we can see where it came from. And everything kind of coalesces into this one tiny dot when we track it all back. And it's a lot longer than 6,000 years back. There's another one. 
This kind of stuff is silly. Uh, people will raise it, and a lot of people believe it. There are, are plenty of Americans who believe in creationism. They're mad at evolution because it easily misproves it. And I use easily there sort of reluctantly because a lot of work has gone into proving the theory of evolution. A lot of work and a lot of research, a lot of, you know, archaeology and uh, digging things up in the desert and carbon dating and matching fossils and figuring out everything. It took a long time to really nail that one down. But we did. And, you know, I, I think I said this on another episode, but a theory, when you say something's like the theory of evolution in science... That doesn't mean it the way that you and I would say, like, I have a theory that Tom Cruise is a gay man. No. That's just a guess. It's a hypothesis. Probably not even true. Uh, I use the word hypothesis. That, that, that's what that really is. When you just take a wild guess, like, hey, maybe we all came from monkeys and the monkeys came from something else and then blah, blah, blah. That would be a hypothesis. And at some point, you know, that was Darwin's hypothesis and we proved it true. Now it's a theory. You wouldn't say that gravity is just a theory. We can demonstrate it, right? Pick up your phone and drop it. See what happens. That's gravity. It's proven. We know that's real. <laughs> There's plenty of theories. A theory in science is something that has been rigorously tested and looked at and worked over. And if it makes it to the point of a theory, that's pretty much objectively true. So this goes over a lot of people's heads. And it's why, you know, they like to say, well, evolution just a theory. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so is gravity. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, sir. Okay, there's, uh, there's other stuff along these lines that, uh, that, that are kind of crazy that people in America believe. And if they just take the time to sort of do what I just advised, which is go look at the research, respect the scientific method, you'll understand that there's no reason to debate about this at all. A huge one would be climate change. I know we're all really tired of talking about this, <clears throat> so I will, I will try to keep it close. Part of me was like, maybe I should do a whole thing on climate change. But no, like, if you don't get climate change by this point, if you're not on board, you are tricking yourself. You know, this is obviously real if you look at the science. I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson put it really well in some interview he did where he was talking about the well-known fact that 97% of scientists who study climate agree Climate change is real, and most importantly, it's man-made. Only 3% of those people don't agree with that idea. And like I've said before, there's always the one in five dentists who doesn't believe in toothpaste, right? There are people who think all kinds of things, and even in groups of professionals, there's always a couple of numbnuts at the end of the day. There's always going to be a couple of people who just are obstinate, refuse to see the research, or maybe for their own professional reasons, want to go out of their way to take the other side and make a name for themselves. Um, so the way that Neil deGrasse Tyson put this was, if you went to the doctor and you were really, really ill, you know, you were sick, um, and maybe even your life was on the line or it was just a very serious illness, and the doctor said, okay, there's two pills I have for you. Um, this one has a 97% chance of curing you and this one has a 3% chance. What pill are you going to take? <laughs> I'm in club 97%, 100% of the time on that one. Give me the 97% odds. The 3% is ridiculous. It sounds like that pill basically doesn't work. Um, but yet in America, like half of us are taking the 3% pill for some reason. We, we can't, 
separate our feelings about how uh, uncomfortable climate change is out from the fact that uh, the the research is just in and it's real. So this is a breakdown of critical thinking. That's what we're talking about. There's, There's a part of you that has to say, huh, so people who study this stuff professionally and have thought about this and run tests and research and they have an exorbitant amount of charts and graphs, 97% of those people are telling me it's this way. And then three loony dudes over here are saying, uh, no, we don't think that's true. So, I mean, how, how are you not seeing this? Not only that, but again, if you're critically thinking and you do go look at these charts and graphs and stop just listening to whatever the news is trying to tell you, you'll see that like, these talking points they have on the other side, like, well, you know, the uh, the Earth is always cooling and warming. It's always changing its temperature. So even if it is changing, it's completely natural. I had a, uh, a professor in college who was like a, a history professor, and he tried to tell us that. You know, this is like a 78-year-old man and not a scientist. So even then, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's ridiculous to say. Yes, does the Earth very, very, very slowly cool and warm and go through phases? Yes, it does. We can see that. We know that. Again, we can look through fossil records and through, you know, uh, Arctic, uh, what was I saying, ice core samples. Like, there's, there's a million ways that we know this. But if you look at charts of CO2 emissions and temperatures, there's an enormous abnormal spike that takes place right around the time of the Industrial Revolution, you know, when we started polluting the atmosphere. Uh, it's just, it's a crazy thing to say when you can see these charts and graphs in front of you, this enormous spike that is so perfectly tied to the moment human beings started belching all this stuff into the atmosphere and getting worse and worse since as the industrial revolution grew and technologies grew and fossil fuels took off. It's just so obvious. Um... There's another thing that uh, Carl Sagan said at one point. He was giving a speech, and I think he might even have an essay about this, that, you know, the planet Venus, right, our next closest neighbor to the sun, is extremely hot, hostile to life. It's hotter than the hottest oven on Earth. You know, it's super duper hot. Now, this isn't just because Venus is close to the sun. It's because Venus's atmosphere is extremely saturated with carbon dioxide, extremely saturated with it. Uh, And this traps all the heat from the sun on the planet. So it is basically a big, you know, oven. It's a (laughs) hellhole. It's a real hellhole. And it's, it's all because its atmosphere is completely just saturated with this carbon dioxide. Now, Earth has a ton of carbon dioxide too. The difference between us and Venus is that it's not in the atmosphere, although we are, of course, increasingly putting it there. No, Most of Earth's carbon dioxide is trapped in rocks, things like wood, things like coal, things like fossil fuels. That's where it is. So it's safe there because it's not up in the atmosphere baking us to death. But we are putting it there. We are turning ourselves into Venus every time we burn wood, burn coal, and burn fossil fuels. There's no such thing as clean coal. There's no such thing as a clean fossil fuel. All of these have this effect. So if we want to be like Venus, it's not about moving closer to the sun. It's about saturating our atmosphere with carbon dioxide, which will trap heat here, which will warm the planet, melt the ice caps, yada, yada, yada. You've all heard it before. Um, 
this is just actually pretty basic science. Like you don't really need to be a climate scientist to understand that concept. It's very simple. You have one thing down here in solid form. If you turn it into a vapor and send it up, you know, as a gas basically into the atmosphere, now you got problems. So we got to stop doing that. This is critical thinking stuff. Um, let me give you basically the seven steps that are involved in critical thinking. You know, this is like, you don't even really need a college course on this, although trust me, it helps. Um, there are just seven things you need to think about every time a weird claim comes your way. Every time somebody says something that sounds kind of off to you, maybe a little weird, and I hear this from people all the time, I hear weird stuff, and this is what I do. So the first thing is, what is the question, right? You've got to kind of identify what are they talking about. So in this case, it would be something like, uh, okay, you know, the sun revolves around the earth. <laughs> okay. Huh. So that's what you're talking about. That's step one. Step two is let's go gather some data on this. Is there anyone who's researched this? You know, are there prominent opinions on both sides about whether the sun revolves around the earth? Can I talk to scientists who study the sun and the earth? Can I look at, uh, you know, ancient astronomers all the way through today, and just so you know that there's going to be a million academic papers about whether the sun revolves around the earth or whether we revolve around the sun. Okay, you've got all your data. Step three, analyze it. Look at it, you know, and most importantly, know your sources, right? Not everything that you see is real or true. There's plenty of fake stuff out there. Um, so figure out who's reliable, who has a track record of being reliable, and who's just some guy <laughs> with a crappy opinion. Uh, step four is identify any sort of biases that these people might have. So this is, you know, I, I hate to talk about Fox News, but when you watch something like that and you're hearing anti-climate change stuff, well, this is because people who sell gasoline are paying them to do it, right? So there's a bias there. There's an obvious bias there. I'm not sure that the climate science board is paying everyone else to say, yeah, this is this is happening. It's horrible. If I follow the money for for climate scientists to tell us this, it, it doesn't make sense. It makes much more sense on the other side. So identify sort of your, your biased characters here. You know, step five is like, figure out what the significance of all of your information is. Because if you're going to collect a bunch of info, you kind of have to separate the wheat from the chaff. Which of this stuff is important? Which of this stuff is not? You know, it's, it almost goes hand in hand, in my opinion, which, with finding out who's biased and who's not, who's reliable and who's not establish the significance of everything that you're seeing. And after that, you can make a conclusion. You can reach a conclusion very easily. Uh, if you're a scientist, there is the seventh step, which would be basically this, you know, you would debate this with somebody or not debate it. You'd like write a paper and have uh, other experts review it, you know, see if your conclusion is correct. This is why there's medical journals and law reviews or every time that somebody comes to a conclusion and publishes an opinion, other people who are thinking about this stuff professionally get to review it. And that is how we sort of arrive at the truth. Constant peer review, constant picking apart by people acting in good faith, by the way, not by people who have an ulterior motive, like they're taking a check from somebody who, you know, is selling uh, T-shirts that say the sun revolves around the earth and they really need that business to keep going. So they're going to pay somebody to just shred your uh, your opinion paper that you publish. And that's that's it, though. That's it's it's simple, guys. It's someone says something crazy. Find the data, you know, look it up, research it, make sure that your sources are reliable. Don't go to like 
crazy conspiracy websites and weird off-brand or right-wing demagoguery. Those are not good sources. You know, go to research papers, go to science, go to places where people have already peer-reviewed previous opinions. You're going to find your thing. There was uh, an interesting news item that came along recently that was all about masks, right? We've all been talking about masks all 2020. And there was a bunch of people, um, it's mostly happened on the internet, but someone somewhere presented himself as a person who had published a study in the cooperation with Stanford University and with the National Institute of Health. This is a big claim. And, and what he said is, yes, this study that I did with Stanford and the National Institute of Health uh, basically showed that masks don't work when it comes to preventing the spread of COVID. They don't work. It's all a lie. It's all a trick. Now, this took off like wildfire because there's a huge anti-mask movement already. People don't want to wear them. You know, people want to believe that it's a conspiracy or a hoax or somehow wearing a mask is you being uh, dominated and controlled by the government. And everyone said, look, even Stanford and the National Institute of Health are finally admitting it. Masks don't work. But when I heard this, of course, my bullshit detector went off. You know, I've lived through a year of a pandemic. And even long before the pandemic, I've noticed that doctors like to wear masks and even hazmat suits when they're around infectious disease, don't they? And even when you go in for something like an, a, a surgery, everyone in there is going to have a mask on to prevent whatever they have from infecting your body. But especially a respiratory disease in a pandemic where you are hacking up phlegm or breathing out uh, a virus that only comes in through breath, of course a mask makes a ton of sense. So I thought, why would Stanford publish a study like that? Because I know that that can't be true. Like, it just, it's, it's dumb, right? Uh, the same way that I know that the sun doesn't revolve around the earth, I understand how a mask prevents the spread of infection. So as I watched people just go down this rabbit hole online and just buy this, I said, am I the only one here who's going to bother to look this up? <laughs> you know. And so this is what I did. I looked it up. I followed the critical thinking steps. I said, okay, let's go find the data for this. And here's what I discovered very, very quickly. This quote unquote study was, first of all, not a study at all. It was basically an opinion paper and it was not done in conjunction with Stanford or the National Institute of Health. In fact, they had both already come out and said, we have nothing to do with this by the time I started my research. It was written by a man who is basically a physical therapist, right? Not a doctor, certainly not an infectious disease expert, but a physical therapist. And he had given a talk in like 2015, one time about physical therapy at Stanford, or something along the lines of his profession, right? Nothing to do with epidemiology at all. He had given one talk there. And this is what he used to credential himself as being, you know, aligned with Stanford. And it was, again, not a peer-reviewed study. It wasn't a study at all. It was basically an opinion. And the only connection it had to the National Institute of Health was that you can access people when they publish uh, quote-unquote academic papers like that in the medical field the National Institute of Health's website has like a web crawler that crawls through these journals and these papers that get published. And if you searched in it, you could, you could find it on their site. Other than that, they had no connection at all. So to me, I was like, why are all these people incapable of looking this up? <clears throat> you know, it's not like I had to go to the library at Harvard and pull out a bunch of old medical journals to find out the truth here. 
This was a Google or two away. You know, this was very, very easy to get to the bottom of. I should also mention that after this happened, uh, and, you know, Stanford came out and denied that they had anything to do with it and explained that this guy was just a guest speaker several years ago on a completely unrelated topic. Well, what happened? Did the Americans who bought into this say, oh, shit, we were wrong. Okay, my bad. No, unbelievably, they did not. If you go on Twitter and look at this, what was people's response? Well, Stanford's just walking it back now for political reasons because they're being pressured by the government. <laughs> yeah, of course they're going to deny they had anything to do with it. Of course the National Institute of Health is going to say they had nothing to do with it because they're facing political pressure and being censored and they have to go along with the Orwellian mask mandates. It's, it, it defies comprehension, to be honest with you, to see that people are just incapable of accepting reality. And of course, these are people who, if you talk to them, they'll tell you, no, I'm a skeptic. This is how I arrived at this conclusion. I'm being skeptical of this. I am a critical thinker. I know better. I know Stanford's just fooling me for political reasons. I'm the one who's smart. I've figured this all out. Uh, no, <laughs> there's no reason to think that. That's, there's no evidence for that. That's how you want to feel because you've taken a political stance on something. And when the truth comes around and shows you to be wrong... You double down on your BS and you invent a new reality that makes everyone else look stupid and you still get to look smart. Well, let me tell you something. You don't look smart to anybody. That's you showing that you live in a fantasy world and you cannot accept reality. When the, when the truth, you know, when you do your research and the truth comes out, that at that point, it's over. <laughs> at that point... There's no more reason to be skeptical. You've, you've figured it out. But these people have somehow taken a wrong path on this uh, journey of critical thinking, which is really sad if you think about it, you know, because these people are, are, are applying this to all these other parts in their life, you know, something like vaccines, uh, which we all need right now because we are trying to pull ourselves out of an extremely deadly pandemic, as I mentioned. Well, no, these people have come up with the idea that the vaccines have some sort of a 5G chip in them that's going to track you and the government and Bill Gates, of course, who's always behind these things, will know your every move and be able to read your thoughts. Uh, other people are saying they're going to make you sterile for population control. Like That's the interesting thing with that one is there's no real cohesive... Uh, they don't really know why they're saying this. It just sounds scary, and so they're going to say it. So critically thinking, well, first of all, there's no evidence of this. This is, you know, there's zero evidence. This is a rumor. Uh, if you look at Bill Gates, who everybody is saying, well, he's trying to make us a communist country with population control and by tracking us, it's an authoritarian communist sort of thing. Uh, Bill Gates is the most successful and predatory capitalist of all time. I don't understand why he would want America to be a communist country because I, we both know about the man. He is the world's most successful capitalist. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, if, if either Bill Gates or the government wanted to track you using 5G technology, well, do me a favor, go on ahead and reach right in your pocket, find that old cell phone of yours and realize they've already done it, <laughs> you know? They don't need to put anything in a vaccine for you to know where you are, what you're looking up online, who your friends are, what your interests are, what you texted your, your wife or your mom or your dad last night. If they want that information from you, 
you've already volunteered it to them. Okay? They don't need to trick you into getting a vaccine. They actually got you to pay like $1,000 for something that does it for them, and you love that thing. You probably are listening to this on it right now. They know you listen to the skunk. They don't need to give you a shot for that. They got, they're so, so good at it, they made you pay for it. Uh, that being said, you know, that's just sort of, uh, it, it's not, the phone is not a devious thing. You know, they didn't design it just to spy on you and track you. It's a nice little bonus that they have, you know. But really, it's because they make a lot of money on e-commerce. You know, they make a lot of money selling phones and blah, blah, blah. You know, there's, there's so much more to this. Um, what it reminds me of is in, in anthropology class in college, I remember hearing all about, you know, when anthropologists would meet sort of uncontacted tribes or sometimes missionaries in Africa and poorer areas would want to give people vaccines against the things that were wiping out villages and killing their little kids. And of course, there's always some witch doctor or whatever, some, some person somewhere who spreads a rumor that it's the vaccine that's killing everybody. <laughs> you know, don't let these people vaccinate you. It's a devilish trick. They're going to kill you. And these people always just had such an uphill battle convincing everyone that like, no, whoever's telling you this is, is full of it. Because look, all these kids we vaccinated and all these people we vaccinated, they're the ones that are not dying or getting sick anymore. Like, please just look at the results and then look at the people who are telling you not to do it and realize those are the people who continue to die and get sick. Now, for the most part, missionaries and, you know, medical volunteers that have gone and worked on these programs have been successful, thank God. But they're not going to tell you that it was easy all the time because misinformation from ignorant people can really screw up a good thing, can't it? Everyone out there that refused to wear a mask all year and that now doesn't want to get the vaccine because of some fallacious, easily disproven conspiracy theory, they're hurting the rest of us, which is why I think it's important to talk about critical thinking. Like, clearly we failed a, a large generation here, a large, my generation, unfortunately. And actually, that's not even fair. It's, it's people of all ages. I'm going to walk that one back. It's not just millennials. People of all ages appear to have been failed by their education because they are so incredibly gullible. Like being gullible is a really embarrassing thing. Now, we've all fallen for stuff and we all will fall for stuff again. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that like someone can't say, hey, Sean, you know, the word gullible is written on the ceiling and I won't immediately look at the ceiling because <laughs> I, I can be that guy. We all can. But there are things that are such important matters in your life. You know, there are things that are more abstract, like does the sun revolve around the earth or the earth around the sun? Either way, life goes on, right? That's really a scientific issue that if we found out it was the other way around, it wouldn't affect you. But something that could kill you, and then knowing that there's something that can save you from being killed, and not having the tools to tell what to do with that, that's really dangerous for you. And frankly, for all of us, especially when it comes to the mask stuff. You know, this is something that is a matter of public health, and your lack of critical thinking skills has allowed you to endanger everyone around you. That's bad, man. I want to talk about another one that was sort of my favorite. Uh, and this is just another example. Like, this one truly is kind of my generation. We own this one a little bit. 9-11, right? Well, we all saw the planes fly into the buildings. Uh, we all... Heard from Osama bin Laden, you know, hey, I, or I organized this. I did it. 
I got these guys to do it, and guess what? I'm declaring war on you. Okay, well, we all saw all of these things, but what happened over the next couple of years? Well, Americans, I guess, were bored by that reality or didn't want to accept it, and they began coming up with all these weird concocted tales about those jets didn't take down those buildings. It was controlled explosions put in there by George W. Bush. Sometimes in this version of the story, personally. <laughs> but it's like George W. Bush had a secret demolitions team uh, rig all those buildings. And you can see by the puffs of smoke that are coming out as the buildings collapse, those are the uh, charges going off, blowing out floor by floor. And, you know, those buildings shouldn't have fallen apart because steel that, that holds up the building uh, has a higher melting point than jet fuel burns at. So if a plane crashed and all the jet fuel ignites, it doesn't get hot enough to melt steel. Gotcha, Bush. Well, I can't tell you how many people I've known over my life that believe that. that like, sincerely think I'm an idiot for not buying that. And again, much like with the uh, fake Stanford study, this is just a couple reading pieces away from being uh, crystal clear that that's not the case. Not only do we have the killer admitting it on video and the wars to prove that we really put our money where our mouth is on that one, but also the puffs of smoke as the buildings collapse were the floors pancaking one after another onto themselves shooting out jets of dust and air and whatever else was in that room out the sides of the windows. And the reason that the buildings collapsed, even though it is true that jet fuel does not burn at a hot enough temperature to melt steel, is that jet fuel burns at a hot enough temperature to severely weaken steel, right? To turn it not into a molten substance, but to make it bendy <laughs> and weak. So that's why the buildings fell down, guys. This is just so look-upable, if I can coin a phrase here. This is all look-upable. That stuff is dumb. And more than that, I think I've mentioned before, there's a little tool you can deploy here called Occam's Razor. You might know what it is. If you don't, I'll tell you. If there's a really, really simple explanation for something that seems obvious, that's probably the explanation, right? Not always. People can sometimes trick you, but for the most part, things usually are as they appear to be. You know, if, if you can get to, to, to A, from A to C by just taking B, then there's no reason to hit D, E, F, G, H, J, and all the others. Just A, B, C, got it, it makes sense unless there's anything else there that you can really dig up that, that gives you cause not to think that, then don't, you know? It, 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 there's a guy on tape giving you a very clear reason why this crime occurred. You see the president, you see our entire military acknowledge that and then prepare for war. We spend a long time hunting this person. Sure enough, when we get to Afghanistan, there's a real al-Qaeda there waiting for us. Uh, the guy continues to post videos taunting us about it, and eventually we get him too. I don't see any reason to take this any other way, <laughs> you know? Oh, Bush just wanted the oil. What, from Afghanistan? I mean, maybe you want to make that case in Iraq, buddy, but I think you got the wrong country. 
it it just doesn't pass the smell test <laughs> for me. So my whole point here isn't just to go through all the dumb BS that people believe, although I've certainly had a blast doing it, and hopefully just very quickly and lightheartedly debunked a few of those for any of you who maybe for whatever reason were on the fence. But the point here is that maybe we all need to reassess our relationship with how we think about the world. Because clearly a lot of us adults aren't really up to snuff when it comes to separating BS from real stuff. You know what? A lot of people, apparently, people who think that elections, you know, with <laughs> multiple recounts and multiple lawsuits and thorough, thorough investigations into every voting machine still believe that, you know, no, there's something somewhere. And they'll claim that a voting machine uh, company rigged, uh, rigged the votes in a state that that voting company didn't even do business in. You know, they'll say something like, oh, it was the voting machines in, uh, in Michigan from this company. And the company's like, well, you guys can look this up. We didn't even have voting machines in Michigan. And people will still be like, I don't know. I'm a skeptic. I'm using my critical thinking, and I'm going to say I'm skeptical of that. No, we, we need to reassess the way that we go about this stuff. You have to be able to look at evidence, find verifiable, trustworthy, actual sources that do not have some sort of a motive to deceive you, use those sources, collect all the evidence, look at it, and make your decision. And it seems like one of the big ones here is people have a, a tough time finding a source they can trust. Because plenty of people say, well, I saw it on the news, and then, of course, we find out what news that is, or, oh, I read it on a website, and then, of course, we find out what website that is, and it's like, oh, okay, well... If you're going to bullshit.com slash conspiracy, that's not a good place for you to find your news, okay? If you're going to uh, jesuslovingar15.com slash kill Democrats slash real news, you know, slash reality, that's a horrible place to find your news because right baked into the title is something that's telling you how biased it is immediately. You need to be able to figure this stuff out. And you need to be able to look things up for yourself in the proper way that will lead you to a conclusion that is real. Otherwise, you will further derange yourself. And soon you're going to be one of these people who everything in their life is crazy. Because that's an interesting thing I should mention about false information and specifically conspiracy theories. But they've done studies on this where it only takes one, really, one conspiracy theory, one minor one that somebody sees on Facebook. And, oh, that's interesting. I'll click on that. Now they're finding themselves in a community of people who believe in this. But a lot of these people are already conspiracy-minded to begin with, and they're believing in other ones. And so they'll start introducing those to this newcomer. Oh, if you'd like this, you should hear about this. And over time, this person just descends into a world of unreality and into false information sources, and they're being exposed to things that aren't true. But the community around them thinks that they are, which sort of legitimizes them in a social sense. And before you know it, and I've known people like this, many of them, this person lives in a world that is entirely fictional. <laughs> they believe things that are completely false. You, these are things you can look up. Uh, their very core beliefs become falsifiable, stupid lies. And it's like meeting a cartoon character at some point. You're like, you don't even live in, in real life, do you? You leapt off of a page and where you belong is in a cartoon where all of this crazy stuff is true, you know? Uh, you need to protect yourself against that because it is, it is kind of a slippery slope. 
when you don't know how to think for yourself, when you don't know how to parse information and you just start accepting things, or you think that you're being, you know, skeptical and critically thinking, but the places you're searching for your proof are, you know, really, really disreputable, specious, awful places, a junkyard of information. Well, then before long, you're just going to be kind of an idiot. And I hate to be that blunt about it. But here's the thing. We can protect ourselves from this, right? I'm not trying to tell you necessarily how to think, although, of course, I gave you some steps and been giving you advice about it. But I'm not trying to fundamentally change who you are and tell you you're wrong about everything. I'm just saying, like, hey, yo, we've seen a lot of weird stuff go down over the last couple years. And if you talk to your neighbor, you might hear some crazy crap come out of their mouth. I think all of us need to step back and reassess our relationship with how we process reality. Because if we don't, we're all going to be in a lot of trouble. People are all going to be believing crazy things that are contradictory to one another. They will cause them to hate one another. We already have this. There's already a hateful relationship between truth and reality in our culture. People who believe in falsehoods are real, real mad at people who are believing in reality. And as someone who likes to think that he lives in reality, at least, I want to tell you, I'm not mad at those people for believing crazy things and fake things and not thinking properly. I'm not mad at them. I want to help them. I don't want to kill them. I don't want to hurt them. I want to pull them out of their craziness <laughs> and be like, yo, hey, think about this a different way. You're not quite getting this. That's the attitude here. I'm not trying to be judgmental or cruel. All of us need to reassess this. Anyway, I don't want to beat a dead horse. Although, I could see how if you were having a really bad day and you found a dead horse and maybe you had a bat blow off some steam, but I'm not in that mood today. And I like horses, so I don't think I would ever do that. All right, guys. That being said, don't beat a dead horse. Don't be a dummy. Don't be a fool. Don't be a dupe. I just feel like, like a, something a 50s dad would tell his kid. Don't be a dupe, all right? Don't be a dupe. You're nobody's fool. But remember that. Respect yourself. Respect your brain. Take care of it. And I'll see you on the next one, all right? Take care.